Here is Ham in the boot, right to left, returnable for Span. Two-yard line, far hash, 10, 15, 20 up the middle, 25, cuts to the outside, he finds an opening, Span across midfield, a foot race, 30, 20, you're not going to catch him, Trot in there, baby, 98 yards, and a house goal for Deuce, touchdown Florida State, touchdown FSU. Another 30-plus point performance from the offense and maybe a timely hit on the quarterback pushed the Knowles past their second-ranked opponent of the season. It is a very good evening to you and how you be with William Haynes here and you there on the other side of the dial at 89.7 FM WVFS Tallahassee. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk, the weekly sports power hour on the voice of Florida State. We'll be with you here up until 8 o'clock with new release and lots of Florida State discussions to be had their win over Duke by multiple touchdowns. They do backdoor cover that spread against the number 16 team in the land. We'll also talk about the Seminoles' upcoming game against Wake Forest featuring a very special guest up in Winston-Salem that does cover that football team. So with myself, William Haynes, Jackson Bakich, Owen Hillman, and Andrew Cheney here with me in the studio. Wishing you a good evening, and we thank you for joining us. You can call the show at 850-644-1837. Also, maybe drop us a line on Twitter or at Instagram, at V89Sports. Lots of cool social media content going out these days, so make sure to check that out. Uh, with that being said, I'm William Haynes. As always, our co-host, Jackson Bakich. Good to have you back. I teased it when we opened last week, a big Sunday night game for the Dolphins and a big test. They go to Philly on Sunday night football. Uh, the, the team that leads the NFL in passing and rushing just mustered up 10 offensive points. So not quite maybe how you wanted it, but thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. As always, it's always a blessing to be on the show. Referees, man. Mm. Referees, man. You know, I, I try. I really try my best to be – very objective when it comes to refereeing. I know it's a hard job. I know it's a it's a tough position to be in. You got to throw the flag. You got to not throw the flag when it's late of the game. Whatever it is, I it was just so awful in that Miami game um, against Philly. There's some questions, you know. The uh, the the head referee grew up 60 miles from Philly. You know, there's some there's some stuff going around Twitter on the internet. I don't know, man. But no, it's it's. Uh, the Dolphins didn't come to play as well as they could have as well. You know, when you look at them against Buffalo, it was uh, you know a solid defense. They weren't able to produce as well. Um, so what are you going to do? But back to what what's really important: the Florida State Seminoles. We'll, we'll get into it. Looking forward to it as always. It's always fun to be on Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Yeah, there you go. Your weekly Miami Dolphins check in. If you're wondering, Buck stink. Uh, the Jacks are, are kind of hanging around a really weak division. Five so. and two. Hey, man. Whatever it takes. Uh, Trevor Lawrence on a, on a bad ankle winning on a Thursday night. Also joining us here on the panel, Owen Hillman, uh, your second time on the show. Your first one making a bit of a statement. It caught me by surprise at the time. You picked the Arizona Diamondbacks. At the time, it was just to get out of the wild card round. But, boy, did you pick the right horse as we speak right now. Arizona in Philly in the NLCS with a 4-1 lead in the fifth. They've got a chance to force a game seven. So how about that by you? And also thank you for coming on the program. Yeah, it's great to be here as always. I mean, I, I definitely should have picked the Diamondbacks to go further. I mean, it's nuts. Like, the momentum that they have in the season, um, it, it, it's insane. Um, going on in the NFL, though, but uh, <laughs> the Falcons uh, pulled out a close win against the Bucks. I mean, 
I don't know how in the world the Falcons won that game. I uh, didn't really. <laughs> it was kind of messy all around, but Youngway Koo seems to be just automatic whenever the Falcons are down, like or or tying and need to win. Florida State has found that out this year. What a great kicker can do to a team. Same thing with the Atlanta Falcons up there a bit north of us and rounding out the crew tonight the always incomparable Andrew Cheney how you been my friend good good always good had the aunt and uncle in town for the game my British uncle's first ever college football game first ever football game period very exciting he picked a good one boy the sights you will see walking around a college campus on game day walking into the stadium the things you will hear behind you with the officiating, with the play of the team, with Florida State's ability to run the football or lack thereof. It will make you rethink how you view your fellow man, perhaps. I haven't heard, my, I did, my uncle didn't make such declarative statements, but uh, I sense perhaps that his perspective on life has changed. No, Andrew, to me, it just makes so much sense that you have a, a British uncle. I don't know how else to put it, but it just makes sense to me. I'm glad he was able to come, but that just it checks out. Well, uh, you can certainly tell he's had a major impact on my life. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it at that. I'm surprised to see Andrew and Jackson getting along so well in the studio. Maybe if you do follow us at V89Sports, we put out a, a best sports movie of all time. Andrew, you selected a movie I'd never heard of, 1976's Gus, brought to you by Disney, about a mule that kicks uh, for the NFL. And you said uh, you like the movie, but particularly because the mule reminds you of Jackson Bakich. Well, I, so I, I'm glad you guys have been able to bury the hatchet there. The assumption, I think, was that I was making a statement about his appearance. That's not the case. All right, <laughs> I'm talking about the character. The horse is highly consistent and reliable, just like Jackson is here every week and puts up with everything that goes on on this show. So it was actually a high compliment. There you go. I think uh, we settled it. You know, speak for yourself, William. I haven't buried the hatchet yet, so we'll see. No, I'm just kidding. Maybe just you guys <laughs> can come together tonight. We can have a, a night of bonding a, a over little, Florida uh, State. Yeah, exactly. We'll see. Jack Oliaro peeking in from behind the glass, our producer of the show. He'll be uh, coming at you at 7.30 with Seminole Segment. Wow, Florida State soccer, what a tear they've been on. Christina Roque, the goaltender, got her 50th career win. She's been starting since a true freshman and, and how dynamite, one of the best athletes on this campus, not many people know about, and uh, the soccer team unbeaten in their first 14 games. He'll have you with some more of that at the midway point. Uh, but want to get into Florida State football now, the headliner of this Monday night. Florida State beats number 16 Duke at Doak Campbell Stadium on Saturday night by a score of 38-20. to 20. So, yes, if you're keeping score at home, a 13th consecutive victory for Florida State dating back to last season. And in all 13 of those games, they have scored 30 or more points. Really a historic run that they've been going on right now. Just a quick synopsis. There was a lot that happened. Riley Leonard, the star quarterback of the Blue Devils, much discussion from us going into this game whether or not he was going to play on that bad ankle, he did get the start and was hurt midway through the third quarter on a on a hit and a sack that was penalized for a face mask, but re-entered that ankle. And that was interesting with Duke in the red zone midway through the third quarter, up by three points. Riley Leonard goes down, and the game could not have finished any differently uh, than what we had seen to that point. That was a big swing moment. There was a couple of fourth and ones early on that Florida State failed that set Duke up 
with a quick 10-0 lead. And after a pick six from Jordan Travis backed up on his own end, Deuce Span, the call that you heard at the top of the show, courtesy of Jeff Colhane and the Seminoles Radio Network, Deuce Span with his first career touchdown as a Seminole in his second season, finally making that impact play, going all the way down the left sideline. Florida State trailed 20-17 to at halftime, but shut out Duke in the second half. They scored a touchdown on their final three drives of the game to really uh, look dominant going away. Jackson, what say you to lead us off? Absolutely. So so Florida State, I will say, has just continued to impress me week in and week out. I've talked about it almost ad nauseum for you know the last few shows, but their resiliency is one of their greatest strengths, and it has been one of their greatest strengths. We saw it against LSU. We saw it against Clemson. Hell, we even saw it against Virginia Tech, even. And, of course, we saw it against Duke this past week. However, their most impressive attribute has been their ability to shut down opposing defenses, excuse me, opposing offenses in the second half. LSU is the best offense in the country. If you look at their yards per game, they score a crap ton of points. FSU's first-team defense didn't allow a single point to them in the second half at all. Same thing with Clemson. They're a top-50 offense in the country. They only scored seven points in the second half as well, and none in the fourth quarter. Florida State's ability to adjust in the second half, and this is really a credit to defensive coordinator Adam Fuller, it's been nothing short of first class. However, I want to preface what I'm about to say. Uh, I don't think Florida State's defensive dominance against LSU in the second half was a fluke, but I do worry. I do worry about Florida State's ability to stop these high-powered offenses in the second half, in the postseason, and maybe even against Miami. If you look at the numbers, Oregon, Washington, Georgia, Oklahoma, and Miami, they're all, all top 10 offenses. Against Miami and whoever they play in the postseason, I think they'll have to play a much better uh, second half game defensively and first half especially in order to win those games. And regardless, back to the Duke game though, we've heard the narrative in the game that you know it would have been a lot different if Riley Leonard would have played the whole game, and maybe that's true, we'll never know. But here's the thing. I don't think there's any shot I don't think there's any shot that the Duke offense would have matched Florida State's 21 points in the fourth quarter. And to see the coaching staff finally go back to the design runs with Jordan Travis was so refreshing. I understand if they didn't do do so because Jordan Travis was injured in previous games, but Florida State's offense just opens up so much with him and his legs. We finally saw the dynamic offense for the first time, the most dynamic offense, I would argue, since the LSU game. However, Riley Leonard or not, Florida State was a much better team on Saturday night, and their ability to respond and play their game regardless of the score and who was at quarterback for the other team is why they are a top-four team. They also have some really good players, too. Oh, yeah, and, and well put, Jackson, and we'll, we'll dive deeper into some of those points that you made because you made a lot of good ones. And just to reiterate, the four games following that weird Boston College one-off, you might say, the four games since, Florida State has given up a total of seven points in the second half. So no matter what you want to say about it, Adam Fuller and his unit and maybe how they've struggled in the run game the last couple weeks, points allowed is the stat that matters most, and that's where they've succeeded the most. Uh, Andrew and Owen want to give you a chance to say some things before we dive in in earnest here. Well, in general, it has led Florida State to having a, a positive point differential in every single game in the second half onward, other than the Boston College game. It's it, it's second half adjustments. It's call whatever you want, but the second half is the most important half of, of of the football game, and Florida State's ability to dominate that is is very uh 
Very exciting. Yes, Duke, historically a Methodist university, right? A tradition that emphasizes free will. And the offense here at Florida State gives Jordan Travis a lot of free will. I was so impressed with this play. Maybe his best game of the season, one of the best games of his career? Numbers-wise, certainly. And the, the, the running was a big part of that in a way that we hadn't seen this season. He did have, I counted watching it back, three missed throws early on, pretty wide open receivers downfield, but did settle down to make some big ones. And Johnny Wilson got hurt right at the end of the third quarter again, so he's been banged up here the last couple of weeks. Keon Coleman making an impossible grab with some pass interference going on. So Travis has got a lot of guys helping him out, uh, but he did distribute the football and, and did call his own number a couple of times in the second half, which a lot of Florida State fans had been clamoring for, and it worked out just pretty much how they had anticipated. So a lot of good things to say about that. Uh, Decision-making-wise, play-calling-wise, a a note at the beginning of the game, the first two drives, and let me say this as well, coming into the Duke game, Florida State had opened a half with a score in 10 of their first 12 drives. They didn't score to open either half on Saturday, so Duke with a great defense is certainly a big part of it, Uh, and also the fact that Florida State still scored 38 points is pretty remarkable as well. But the two fourth and one failed conversions by the Knowles early on gave Duke some short fields and set them up for a quick 10-0 lead. The first one was at the Duke 36-yard line, and that was discombobulation on both sides. I don't think um, Florida State was maybe starting to come off the field, and Travis says, no, stay on, calls his own number, quarterback sneak going over to the left, trying to find a hole in the offensive line, but they were barely set at the snap. The defense was also not really ready for the play, so maybe you like that advantage, and it has worked before, but did not work then. And then the second one, much more egregious, from the Florida State 36-yard line, Jordan Travis in the pistol turns around and hands it off to Trey Benson, who has struggled in most games this season. The VT game, really the only one where he's shown his former self. On Saturday, 10 carries for 26 yards, couldn't get going, and he got stuffed there in that fourth and one. This is Norvell's identity. He loves to go for the fourth downs. He loves to roll the dice, loves to play the odds. It didn't cost him the game, but he put his team in a pretty big hole early on when he could have just kicked it away with a great punter, Master Mono, and and try to set up an injured quarterback on a longer field. Yeah, I, I didn't mind the call on fourth down on Duke's side of the field. And Duke's ability to get ready for, for the Travis play uh, was pretty impressive. You, you mentioned it. Both sides didn't look incredibly prepared for that play to go off. Obviously, if Florida State gets them both, it's genius of Norvell to, to have that much faith in his offense. And I'm not critiquing you, William. I think you know a lot of people would have that same, that same opinion, maybe myself included. But Duke has one of the best defenses in the country. So I, I probably would have, wouldn't have gone for it on FSU's end. But, you know, it ended up working out. I think, I think Mike Norvell knew that his defense was, was going to be able to uh, get some stops later in the game. He knew Riley Leonard was, you know, on, on one ankle. But I, I said it a couple weeks ago. I, I, think, I think Norvell can sometimes get too cute when he's, when he's going against inferior opponents. And Duke, by all accounts, wasn't necessarily – uh, this horrible, you know, inferior opponent. And when I said it a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about the Syracuses and the Virginia Techs. I wasn't talking about Duke. So, you know, I can kind of rescind that statement now knowing that he's going to do it anyway against Duke. So, um, you know, 
we can we can Monday morning quarterback this. It ended up working out in the end, but yeah, I, I think the the one on Florida State's end was definitely questionable. Yeah, it was you know here or there. Do you punt? Do you go for it? You know, at the end of the day, we're all grilling, having a good time. Coach Novell went home with the family. Everybody's winning. Does it really matter? I'm just here to grill. <laughs> when you win, at the end of the day. It wasn't uh, too influential, and that's a good point you bring up, Jackson. It was sort of reminiscent to Southern Miss, where first quarter we got to go for the jugular right now. We got to put this thing away as soon as the game starts, and it's a 60-minute game. And what's interesting to be so aggressive at the beginning, you could see Florida State had the depth to outlast Duke deep into the second half. That was what really made the difference with the Knowles scoring touchdowns on their final three drives of the game. So if you know that going in, why do you have to be so aggressive early? That that's uh, what, what's a bit curious to me, and they're going to continue to go for it. They go for it on fourth down more than just about anybody in college football. If you caught the Oregon-Washington game a couple of uh, weeks ago, you saw the Ducks go down on some of those calls. So it is something going on, and, and bigger games might stand out a little bit more. Now, the pick six, uh, Jordan Travis, his first uh, interception since Labor Day, it's a really nice run of efficiency that he had been on, not so much completion percentage-wise, but protecting the football. Uh, put Duke up 17-7. to I was worried. I'd be curious if you guys were worried. But if you were stressed, it didn't last very long because the very ensuing kickoff was the 99-yarder from Deuce Spain uh, to make it 17-14, and kind of from there we went. Yeah, I didn't predict a, a special teams touchdown from the Knowles, but I wasn't too concerned about Florida State being down 17-7. to I know I predicted that Florida State would be down at the half. And, you know, the defense really only gave up 13 points in the first half. So I, I thought they wouldn't score a lot in the second half either. I thought Florida State would eventually get it going on offense at some point. So I knew Florida State, they, they had the Jimmys and Joes. They had the scheme to, to have a good second half. I knew their defense would come to play in the second half. Riley Leonard, obviously, on one ankle. So... I wasn't too concerned, to answer your question. Yeah, I wasn't really that concerned either. I mean, I knew that they'd return it back for a 99-yard <laughs> touchdown because I'm a sorcerer and I'm a genius. I'm kidding. But um, I wasn't really concerned either. I mean, those plays kind of are flukes anyway. I mean, interceptions are a bit concerning, but pick sixes, don't they rarely ever happen. And uh, other than the pick six and the, the fourth down conversions, uh, Florida State looked like, the better team against Duke in the half. Like if you shave off those those seven points, and then if you shave off like the three, if they if they if they kick the field goal at the thirty six, which Fitzgerald still hasn't made one within the fifty yards or more. But if he did, then Florida State would be tied with with uh, Duke twenty to twenty. There'd be like less concern in that, you know. And that that leads to the the greater point. Many many had said somewhat of a fluke on Duke's part to be in that game the, the way they were early and that pick six it hit the receiver on the, the chest plate and bounced off and backed up on your own end Duke is able to run it back but yes. a great response my aunt and uncle really needed some explanation of what was going on on that play <laughs> and how it led to a touchdown for Duke being at your first football game that is a play that would that would kind of wig me out a little bit in the crowd losing their collective minds a little bit as well so we talked about how great the defense was in the second half. Part of that was the quarterback situation for Duke. Again, Riley Leonard went in with the bad ankle. He played for the first time in a couple of weeks. And 
you know, passing yards wise, wasn't lighting it up. 69 yards on just seven completed passes, but he was getting the job done. And Duke went into the halftime locker room up by three points. And uh, when he got hurt after the penalty that that set it up, Duke had first and ten at the Florida State 11 with the Blue Devils up 20 to 17. Seven minutes left in the third quarter. Uh, I would say Riley Leonard there probably finds a way to cash it in. Then Duke goes up by 10. That's a much different ball game than I think is getting credit for because with Beelin, the backup that hasn't played much at all, Duke only had two first downs the rest of the way, which is a quarter and a half of the ball game. And both of those came in a garbage time drive when they were down by three scores. So are you buying that or selling that, that uh, Riley Leonard uh, going out of the game was, was the swinging point? I'll tell you what, I think it certainly had an impact. Obviously, maybe Duke scores some more points. But as I said in my opening statements, I don't. I, I just don't think Florida State's going to compete. Or excuse me, I don't think Duke's going to compete with Florida State's 21 points in the fourth quarter. Granted, I will say, granted, Duke probably gets the ball for longer with Riley Leonard on the field. Maybe, right. Maybe, maybe he doesn't. And, and a lot of people are saying, oh, well, Riley Leonard only had 67 yards. Oh, Riley Leonard didn't have any touchdowns when he played. That doesn't mean he wouldn't have had one. He wouldn't have had, you know, a, a better game later in the second half. To me, if if you watch the game, and you and you really watch Riley Leonard's play, he didn't look bad, at least to me. No, I, I, I'm I, with you. You know, I I was watching him. I, I didn't think to myself, oh, yeah, he looks hurt. That's that 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 thought did not cross my mind. Maybe they schemed it a little bit differently, so he didn't look as hurt, but. It was not Riley Leonard's play that that had Duke down in the game no. when he was playing, um, or had excuse me. So, you know, I, I I buy it a little bit, but I also at the same time, Florida State right after Riley Leonard goes down goes on a 96-yard drive. So, think what you want to think. I you know football is a total team game. A lot of people like to think you know it's just. You have two separate units, and, and they work completely different from each other. They, no, they, they feed off each other. So I, I think obviously it would have had an impact. Maybe Florida State doesn't cover, but I think it was pretty obvious that, that Florida State was the better team on Saturday night. Yeah, it's impossible to tell what would have happened, but I can say for certain when Riley Leonard was in there, Coach Fuller was not going to get to stop running that too, too deep shell defensive formation. It was like it's like telling a kid to eat vegetables, trying to get him to load the box. But once Belin came in, he was much more willing to do so. That changes the whole complexion of the game. Great point, Riley Leonard. Sixty-seven passing yards when he went out. The only reason Duke was able to move the football as much as they were were just the plunge up the middle inside run game. Why what, Why did it take Adam Fuller and the Florida State defense so long to play that? And it was the second week in a row that the opposition had at least one guy go over 100 yards on the ground. That That's a sign for concern, something that you mentioned in your opening statements, Jackson, as we go down the line. Could you imagine Florida State playing Michigan and their zone running scheme with Blake Corum, how they would tear up the defensive front? Tatum Bethune was back probably healthy for the first time in a while, playing some significant snaps. And that run defense is completely different with and without Tatum Bethune in the ball game. So that that helped certainly as well. 
And the sequence there, when Beelin first came into the game, again, first and 10 at the Florida State 11, they just ran it up the middle three times, set up the fourth and three. They could have kicked the field goal to go up by six, which probably would have been the good move. Instead, they throw it. Beelin had not thrown the ball once all night, and they throw it with him on fourth and three. That's a bad call probably by Mike Elko and the Blue Devils. But. Yeah, it's also, you know, it's also a brilliant call because he hadn't thrown a Yeah, pass. they're not yeah. expecting yeah. it, oh, yeah. sure. So, yeah. Well, it didn't work out. Last thing I want to mention here, Jordan Travis with the running game. His 62 rushing yards was the most he had in a game since the Gator game last year where he had 83, and 40 of those 62 yards came on that 96-yard drive following the turnover on downs that I just mentioned that put Florida State ahead in the fourth quarter for good. Now, Mike Norvell was asked about it today at his availability, and he said, I guess in the halftime locker room, that was something that they wanted to get going. He had been plagued with injuries this year. But, again, this was Game 7, really the first time we had seen those design runs and him try and get something more than a handful before sliding down. It was a difference maker, and it really changed the game and a big momentum swing after Leonard came out of the ball game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Florida State's will have to rely on Jordan Travis and his legs throughout the rest of the game, or excuse me, throughout the rest of their marquee games. Because it, it takes their offense to a new level. It opens up the field, and it's kind of like when you have Jordan Travis and you know he's going to run, it's kind of like having, it's kind of like running the Wildcat every play. And he can also throw, you know? So it, it, it makes the defense account for somebody else every single play. So, like I said, it, it, if when they play that Miami squad, when they when they play, and I've said from the beginning, I think Miami is going to be the toughest game, maybe all season. When they when they get into the postseason, whoever they play, whether it's Louisville or Duke or UNC, if they make the playoff, if they have to play at Georgia or a Washington, or an Oklahoma, Jordan Travis will have to be a factor with his legs if they want any chance of winning that ball game. For sure. I mean, I was going to mention this when talking about uh, the injury to Riley Leonard, but I believe the reason why Florida State won that game was because of how they changed the script offensively with Jordan Travis running running around. I mean, Travis reminds me a lot of uh, in, in 2022 with uh, Justin Fields and the, and the Bears. He seems to he seems to be a better he seems to be a better quarterback and a better passer when he can open up the running game too. I think regardless, though, of the game plan, Coach Novell can talk all he wants. Oh, we want to run Travis. We want to run Travis. I'm not sure Travis wants to run all of these plays. He's very, very eager to slide. He knows what his future holds. He knows what it feels like when you get lit up by some of these guys that are playing in their Super Bowl now, the way that uh, everyone is playing Florida State. He's completely changed as a player, whereas before it was one maybe probably short read and then take off. Now he's looking deep down the field on every play, really trying to attack the length of the defense. And not sure he has the arm to do it consistently. He missed some big throws early on, but again, he scored 38 points, and the, the run game opened that up to another level. Hopefully we see that more against Wake Forest. But here at the midway point, don't want to delay any further. we got Jack Oliaro coming up with Seminole segment, all things going on and Florida State Athletics. Jack, take it away. Thank you, William. Jack Lear here, as he said. And before we get into it, I'm going to give my score predictions for the FSU Wake Forest game. I believe the Knolls have heard the criticism of their road performances, and they will stomp that out. Emphatically? No. I like the 20-ish spread right now, and I would slightly take the Knolls to cover on the road plus 20. Wake Forest 24, Florida State 45. 
But now, it's time for the seminal segment relaying the latest and greatest in all of Florida State's athletics, catching you up to speed on what you may have missed. We'll start out here in Tallahassee, Florida, and head to the Seminole Soccer Complex, where the number one soccer team in the nation hosted another top 20 Thursday night showdown, this time with the 18th-ranked Pittsburgh Panthers. Last season, the Knowles needed a Leilani Nesbeth laser beam to defeat the Panthers in Pittsburgh, 1-0 in the regular season. They then squared off again in the round of 16 at home, where they dispatched Pittsburgh 3-0. This wouldn't play out that same way as the Seminoles were dictating play early, held the ball, and looked like they had the winning formula to take down the Knowles. Lauren Flynn made two defensive blocks midway through to deny a goal, but in the final minute of the half, the Panthers finally broke through and scored the first goal on the night. This was only the second time all season the Knowles were going to be down at the half, and FSU came out well after the break, but they weren't threatening well enough until Taylor Huff lined up for a corner kick, found Lauren Flynn at the back post, tightly marked. She just about got her head onto it as it snuck through the goal to equalize it at one all. That was just what they needed, as not even 10 minutes later, Beata Olsen sent a through ball into Jordan Dudley, who powered through a defender and scorched the roof of the net for the lead and her ninth goal of the season. They weren't done yet, though, as Leah Pace found Jody Brown, who then found Onia Chagini, and a deadly cut to her right set up this shot to fly past the keeper and the third and final goal of the night. 12 minutes had gone it, and that was it. The Knolls flipped the game on its head. However, a late penalty from Pittsburgh was given, and it executed, and the Panthers cut the lead to one goal, but it was not enough. The Knolls earned a tough conference win at home, but their week wasn't done yet as they traveled to Durham, North Carolina for a Sunday afternoon matchup with Duke. The Knolls' last regular season road loss was in Durham two seasons ago. The goal, the Knolls, excuse me, the goals Knolls began around the half-hour mark when Jordan Dudley drove through defenders with unwavering physicality to set up Caitlin Zappé for an easy tap-in. The halftime break didn't slow up the side as Beata Olsen sent a beautiful arching cross right to Oni at the back post for an expert level header into the left corner of the frame for her 10th goal of the season, and she only had to wait 5 minutes for her 11th as she sent a rocket from outside the box to the keeper's near post, which left her no chance. To finish it off, a beautifully worked play found Taylor Huff, which allowed her to drive through defenders, fire a shot off her left foot, which sent the keeper the wrong way for the 4th and final goal. With the win, the Knolls are at least secured a share of the ACC regular season championship. This is their sixth regular season championship and second straight season achieving this feat. They can grab sole possession of the championship with a win or draw against North Carolina State this Thursday at 7 p.m. at home, streaming on ACC Network Extra. And staying close to home, we move to Tulla Gymnasium, where the Knolls once again dominated their homestand this weekend. And to make it quick, the Knolls played six sets of volleyball, they won all six of them, dispatching Boston College Friday evening and crushing Syracuse midday on Sunday. The team is now 9-1 in conference with their only loss to 11th-ranked Georgia Tech. The Knowles will face their toughest head of the test of the season when they take on 5th-ranked Louisville on the road this Friday at 7 p.m. They'll then head north to South Bend to take on Notre Dame on Sunday at 1 p.m. Both of those games will be streaming on ACC Network Extra. Well, that's going to do it for this week's edition of Seminole Segment. William, we are clear for liftoff. Thank you, Jack. Another great Seminole Segment uh, out of you. We really appreciate getting a look at all the other things going on in Florida State sports with, of course, football really dominating the fall scene. But Brian Penske, I know he gets some attention because they're the number one team in the country, but, man, what a job he has done to really pick up the baton from Marker Corian and really run with it the way that he has. And they've brought in some great players Looks like they're going to be poised for another, another deep run uh, as this season goes on, and they've got a chance to wrap up the ACC title. 
as he said. We're moving now into the Wake Forest preview. That's where football will be at noon. Yes, noon, another noon game. Basically half of them have been at, played at that time this year on ABC. Florida State favored by 20 points. Now the Demon Deacons, they've won the last three meetings dating back to 2019, but things Maybe looking a little bit different. The Deeks just four and three, one and three in ACC play. And I mentioned it at the beginning. We're going to go ahead and, and go to the phone line now uh, because we're joined by a very special guest, the sports editor of the Old Golden Black, Cooper Sullivan. Cooper, how you doing, man? I'm good. How are you guys? Fantastic. We really appreciate you being here on the show to talk about uh, your team. They did finally get back in the the winning column, obviously. But just want your thoughts on the season overall so far. Does it feel like Wake may be underachieving a little bit? They've won eight or more games in every season since 2019. If you toss out the COVID year, uh, you know, because I, I don't know if they're going to get to that mark. Does it feel like they're a little bit behind schedule? Well, it's definitely not the Wake Forest of years past uh, with the high 35 or more points a game. Um, but I wouldn't say that eight, nine, ten wins was kind of the mark since it was basically a, a pretty big roster reset. Um, as you know, Sam Hartman's in Notre Dame, um, lost Kobe Turner to the NFL, Rondell Bothroyd is in Oklahoma. So there's a lot of new guys kind of getting on the field this year. Um, but yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't mean it's not a disappointment here in Winston. Um, I'm sure after the first few games, things were pretty high hopes that at least a bowl would be attainable. Um, if they can continue if they can right the ship after what the win last week against Pitt, there's a possibility. But um, I think this year is just kind of one that just needs to be kind of completed and kind of staying afloat and survived almost. Yeah, what did you see out of that win over Pitt? I know the one thing that everyone probably saw, I mean, I, I don't want to hurt your feelings here, Coop, but Pitt won that game. The, the quarterback made it past the line again, and it was a bad spot that would allow them to run the clock out. But give the Deeks some credit for going down the field and punching it in there to take the lead. What did you see out of that ball game that maybe gives you some hope, their first ACC win, that they can right the ship, as you said? Well, just to mention that, that point on the, the spot on the slide, that is, that is because of their old quarterback, Kenny Pickett, a couple years ago in the ACC championship game. Um, he did a fake slide against the Wake Forest defense on the opening drive. Wake Forest kind of pulled back because they weren't going to hit the, the target, the defenseless player, um, and they changed the rules that offseason. So it's basically whenever that quarterback or the player starts to make the slide motion, that's where he's ruled down. Sure, it may have been a iffy spot, but it is a little ironic that it is based off of the, his predecessor. Um, but as you were saying, I, Pitt did kind of lose that game even beyond that that one call, um, Wake Forest was really was really struggling kind of the whole day um, offensively. They caught a break last last ten fifteen minutes, but uh, it's something that kind of had to been it's been an issue all year. It needs to be addressed uh, in order to sustain uh, kind of the offensive any any time any type of production. Um, the defense put in another stellar effort. Um, there were Double-digit tackle for law, um, seven QB hurries, no sacks. Unfortunately, after the first three years, Wake Forest or three weeks, excuse me, was in the top of the rankings in the nation, um, but hasn't been able to get to the quarterback, which Jordan Travis could potentially cause an issue with that. Um, but that's going to be the biggest issue: is making sure that their defense keeps them in games 
and allows for the offense to kind of make the mistakes, kind of putter. And as long as the defense kind of keeps them within striking reach, it's it's an all right game. I know you'll you'll find out more about this after Clawson's press availability tomorrow, but the quarterback situation is interesting. Mitch Griffiths, who started the season the first six games, I, I read that he was benched, and it looks like maybe he's hurt as well. It could be, uh, who knows, a combination of both. And Santino Marucci was the quarterback in the win over Pitt. Uh, I'm curious your thoughts, if there's a big difference between those two guys and just uh, kind of where you think that situation is at the moment. I mean, yeah, there's definitely a difference in terms of what Wake Forest offense can run. Um, Coach Clawson said in the postgame presser that they really limited the, the offensive game plan to pretty much running and a few quick screens and deep throws, whereas when Mitch Griffiths is in the game, they have the ability to run play action, slow mesh. Mitch can go off and run it himself. Um, there's just a lot more variability up in the air. Um, but Santino Mercy did, did a great job on Saturday when his name was called. Um, but there, I'm not sure, based off body language after the game, it didn't seem like he was necessarily preparing for another game. Um, Coach, Coach Clawson last week, he said that uh, Mitch was benched in the second quarter um, just to kind of get some sort of offensive production going with the backup Michael Kern. Aaron will be out for a few weeks due to injury, so it is down to either Griffiths or Marucci, but if Griffiths is healthy, I believe Griffiths would be the one to start. Also, so outside of Mitch Griffiths and Santino Marucci, are there any other players on Wake Forest that Florida State fans should watch for of this new bunch? Yeah, so Damon Claiborne is someone who's really lighting up the scoreboard for Wake Forest. He's honestly the only, and before the Cameron Height touchdown at the end of the game, he had scored Wake Forest last four touchdowns over the since the Georgia Tech loss um, back in September. But he's the, the Demon Deacons' leading rusher, just under 500 yards, five total touchdowns. Um, the guy he reminds me of Le'Veon Bell or Christian Chris Johnson back in the early 2010s. Just kind of very patient at the line, and once he finds that hole, that hole, he'll just go sprint through it. And he's a tough guy to tackle. Um, He's definitely someone Seminole fans should keep their eye out for. What do you think about taking into account maybe Wake Forest past success against Florida State in Mike Norvell? It look, seems like maybe someone Dave Clawson knows pretty well with, with how that, that series has gone as of late, the three-game winning streak for the Deeks. I know the rosters have very much been going in different trajectories. Is there any juice there, you think, for, for Wake's team? I mean, I'm sure that's definitely something Coach Clawson's telling his guys, where it's like, hey, we've done this before, we've been doubted before, look at what we've done in the past. But, again, you're only as good as your, your last at-bat, and Wake Forest's last few at-bats haven't been so hot. Um, it definitely will be probably not as close unless just something crazy happens, um, but I don't anticipate Florida State having much of a problem when they come up to Winston on Saturday. Okay, and... Uh something you mentioned earlier it seems like depending on who's playing quarterback this could be uh, a different answer but from your perspective what is wake going to try to do against florida state on both sides of the ball and uh how do you think the game goes well i think it starts with the de- the wake forest defense they're going to try to get pressure on jordan travis um try to keep trey benson into the first second levels of defense um there is definitely a size 
um, advantage towards Florida State in turn on the outside and receivers. Um, but once the Wake Forest secondary is tackling well, they usually keep things pretty well in check. Um, so they just basically minimize the explosives and kind of keep the offense in scoring or keep the offense in punching range. Um, in terms of offense, honestly, I would say it would be the game plan would be pretty similar to last week's, regardless of who's that quarterback, just because of the success that they actually kind of saw towards the end of the half. Um, they're just going to kind of they're probably going to favor the running game and then get a few shots to the outside to Taylor Moran or Jamal Banks, Wesley Grimes over the top, but it basically will be kind of set up by the defense in terms of how aggressive the Wake Forest offense will play. It's real interesting. Cooper, really appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on the program tonight, and uh, we wish you the best of the luck here the rest of the way. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. You bet, man. You too. So there he goes. Another great call. We've had some great ones this year. Cooper Sullivan, the sports editor of the old Gold and Black, the student newspaper up in Winston-Salem for Wake Forest, and we thank him, as always, for his time. So, guys, as we welcome everyone back here to the studio here on Tomahawk Talk, 15 more minutes of sports discussion before new release at 8 o'clock. The spread, Florida State favored by 20. That line has crept up a little bit since it's open, so... Uh, the people in the desert, and I'm sure a lot of people picking this game, expecting another runaway conference win for the Knowles, over-under at 53.5. Another big national TV game on ABC at noon. And this the series history is interesting. Um, Florida State probably should never, win, should never lose three straight games to Wake, but that's exactly what's happened dating back to 2019. Now, Sam Hartman quarterbacked all three of those ball games. He's now wearing a different type of gold helmet in South Bend, Indiana. In the last two meetings, Wake has won by 10 or more points. It was 31-21 in Doak Campbell Stadium last year. How about Dave Clawson's uh, comments back then about uh, not being afraid of Doak, the spear that they throw when it explodes? He makes those comments and then goes and beats Florida State by 10 points. That was pretty wild. Hopefully, Mike Norvell and company can give some payback for that this week. Uh, so, want to give some picks here. Wake Forest four and three. They're one and three in ACC play. Finally, got their first conference win against Pitt on Saturday. Um, the what I took most out of the call with Cooper was, man. If Marucci's at quarterback, it sounds like they're in trouble because if they don't have the full install of the offense, the slow mesh that has terrorized the Knowles as of late, to me that's a completely different ball game. And here we go again, another week of uh, an FSU prediction if one QB versus the other. Um, but all things being said, should be hopefully a comfortable game for Florida State. Yeah, I just want to say that game last year with that slow mesh felt like to me, I, I think against the, the, the Clemson game last year, in the NC State game last year, it felt like Florida State beat themselves more than the uh, the opposing team did. That game against Wake Forest last year, it felt as though that, in my opinion, that was the only game Wake Forest truly beat Florida State. They had no business winning that game. Wake Forest was clearly the better team last year, but this year's different. I think, you know, if if Marucci plays, if if Griffiths plays, I, I don't think it makes that much of a difference. I'm going to be completely honest with you, but. This game, obviously, it's different. We, we, we talked about you know times in the past, you're going into a, a quieter stadium. It's a different atmosphere. But this game certainly feels different. That's for sure. 
Yeah, the last noon game in a quiet place for Florida State on the road was at BC up in Chestnut Hill, and we all know how that game ended up. Hopefully the Knolls learn their lesson and can uh, be up. But you talk about an emotional letdown after a, a really raucous home environment at night. That could be a factor. If anything, I, I think you might see a closer game early with Wake trying to throw some haymakers on defense, like Cooper said, but maybe Florida State pulling away later on. Yeah, I, I think Florida State will be successful in all facets. I really do, especially with a questionable QB on deck for, for Wake Forest. It's very similar to, like you said, with Duke. Who knows if, if, if Griffiths is hurt, he might not play as he normally does. And if, if Marucci's hurt, obviously he's the backup. And like you said, with the install, uh, it's not fully cooperating with the team. So my guess is 45 to 14. I think Wake will probably score a touchdown in the first half, hang around until the middle eight. I think Florida State will dominate the, the middle eight, run away with it in the second half, and then Wake will score another touchdown in garbage time. Say you guys. Yeah, this is a tricky game. I look up and down the box score, up and down the roster. It's hard to see Wake Forest competing and making plays on offense. This is not the offense of old, but the spread at only 20 points. And when I, when I think about what this Florida State team is and what they do not possess in terms of killer instinct, I've not seen that yet from this team. I... At the beginning of the year, just uh, idling in an Instagram comment section, picked Wake to win. They've never beat a top five team at home. I'm going to say that this is the one. I'm going Wake uh, 30, Florida State 27 on a late field goal. And I think it'll be a raucous environment, probably a field storming. Just to give the audience some context, this is also the fellow that picked NC State to go to the (laughs) college football playoff. So I just want to set that up. But that's that's a great pick. Well... Not great for Florida State, but awfully interesting. Mm-hmm. Owen, what do you got? Um, I got Florida State winning this game comfortably, uh, re- whether or not uh, whether or not Mitch comes into the game or not. Uh, I think uh, Wake Forest will put up at least 20 points against Florida State, mm. and uh, I think the running back will get over 80 yards again, uh, like it has been the past uh, couple weeks. But I think Florida State wins this one. I'm going to say 41 to 21. Jackson, did we get a score from you going around? Yep, I did. Mm-hmm. I, I said 45 to 14. Okay, so a blowout win more so. Yeah, oh, and the point that you made about the run game, Wake Forest, similar to what Syracuse did and also what Duke did, they love that shotgun inside run. They're just going to plunge it up the gut again and again and again. Wake ran the ball 41 times compared to just 21 passes on Saturday against Pitt in a game that they won 21 17 at home Uh, this could also be the game maybe do we see Jordan Travis involved in the run game for 60 minutes or hopefully if all goes well he doesn't have to stay in the game for 60 minutes maybe it's 45 or 50 and you see a little bit of Taylor Rodemaker there at the end I think it's time to unleash him see what you've got before you head into that final stretch with Miami and Florida see if this is really something that you can do with some consistency um like I said, I, th- I think you might see a closer game early on with maybe a weaker environment and, and those things. Um, you got something else? Yeah, so I, I just got to say, just real quick, just a real blip, I love how they started scheduling those Miami games later into the season. We've seen it. I remember the early 2010s. They used to, they, they did it on Labor Day sometimes. It was week one. Week one, one or yeah. early into the season. I love having Miami and Florida right there at the end. I think you want to see those teams when it matters in November. Should be a great last three or four weeks for Florida State football. 
two rivalry games in a three-week span is is a tough swing emotionally and energy-wise, but we can get into that more when we get there. But it's going to be really a fun watch uh, for fans. And to close it out, I'll say FSU 45-10. to 10, So that would be covering the 20-point spread, hit the over on the 53-and-a-half, but just barely. We've got a chance here to, to do some quick hits of some college football games. Want to start in the ACC, Virginia, with a major upset. This is not good for Florida State. If you're looking at strength of schedule and who the Knowles might play in the ACC championship game, the Tar Heels, number 10, go down 31-27 at home to UVA. The Heels with 500 total yards and a loss. Drake May, a lot of missed throws. There's some drop passes in there. Mac Brown comes up short again in Chapel Hill. Yeah, it seems like UNC has a letdown every year. I'm surprised it was maybe against the worst team in all of college football, but hey, UNC has always been a weird team. I don't know if you all remember in 2020, they had three straight drop passes against Florida State to lose that game. Have no clue still how Florida State won that one, but UNC is a weird football team. They will always be a weird football team until they finally get over the hump. Have they ever won an ACC championship, at least since Florida State joined? I don't think so. It's got to be a minute if they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, Tony Musket, don't sleep on him. Or Musket. Yeah, and, and for Tony Elliott, his first ACC win, the program's first uh, top 10 win on the road. Uh, the Heels still have Duke and at Clemson, so – Likely the heels were going to be at least eleven and one, but Virginia was not a game they could afford to drop. Uh, the the Cavs of UVA ran the ball fifty four times. Wahoo, baby! Converting lots and lots of third and fourth downs. Now the big one of the weekend: number three Ohio State, number seven Penn State. Just a awful Big Ten brute force showing the Buckeyes of Columbus, Ohio, twenty to twelve. Um, <laughs> Just six points for Penn State in the first 57 minutes of the ball game. That was a rough watch if you caught it. Uh, Drew Aller, their their shiny new quarterback, 42% passing. The team ran for just two yards a carry. James Franklin, again, can't win the big one. They'll have a chance to play spoiler, I guess, against Michigan at home, but another letdown in a game that uh, they had to have. I'll tell you what, I believe they, they uh, only had one third-down conversion. All game, mm-hmm. I one for sixteen. One for I mean, you, and that wasn't no until way. the very end of there's, the game. There's no way you're going to win that. And, and I'll tell you, what, this game was weird. It, it didn't feel like Ohio State won the game. It felt like they failed to lose it. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. Uh, but I'll certainly be tuning into the rest of Ohio State's games because I w- I really want to see how Kyle McCord responds after this game. We saw him kind of come to life in the second half against Maryland. We saw him come to come to life in the second half against Notre Dame. We saw that a little bit here against Penn State, but it'll be very interesting to see how this offense responds for Ohio State as they go against Michigan, when they go against uh, whoever they play, if they make it to the Big Ten Championship or into the college football playoff. I mean, as for Penn State, it just feels like another disappointing another disappointing loss when they had a chance at the NCAA Championship. and I, They maybe could do something against number two Michigan. Who knows? But... It's it's. I was gonna talk about this when uh, UNC was going going on. It's feel, it's crazy how thin the margin for error is when talking about the college football playoffs. Like it feels like with just one loss, or it feels like with just one loss or two losses, you can be out of it entirely. And Penn State felt the brunt of it against Ohio State in this matchup, and it just feels like another year for them where they're just they're just short. Yeah, and real quick, uh, we talked about this, or at least people in the media have talked about it with Florida State when. Louisville and UNC also were 
all undefeated talking about you know who's going to go to the conference championship it's a very real possibility i think a better chance that ohio state penn state and michigan could all be one and one uh against each other so who knows what the big Ten's going to do about that but i will say uh that alabama game against tennessee was was special as well it was crazy, right? Alabama trailed 13 nothing early at home. I'm not sure I'd ever seen that before in Tuscaloosa. And the, the Tennessee Volunteers led 20-7 to at halftime. And you go, oh, my gosh, are the Vols going to do this two years in a row after they had gone so long without a win over their bitter rivals on the third Saturday of October? But, man, the tide rolled in the second half, 27 to nothing. They run away, and... Talk about a team riding the ship. Boy, Alabama, after a bye week, they'll host LSU for a chance to uh, take that SEC West crown and maybe get a, a shot at Georgia. Man, not, with Jalen Milrow at quarterback, it's not perfect, but they are, they've are they gotten stronger as the year has gone on. Yeah, they, they might be able – I mean, they control their own destiny, really, if you they think do. about it, to get maybe even into the college football playoff. So who knows? Maybe maybe you and I, William, will will get the, that pick back as we, we predicted earlier with Alabama making it into the college football playoff. Maybe not at that two spot, but who knows. Man, my glasses were a little bit blurry when I was uh, watching the scoreboard on the uh, when, when FSU was doing the skull session. I thought that the Alabama and Tennessee game was on, but then I saw it and it was the Texas and, and Houston game going on too. <laughs> uh, it, was, it, was, it was funny, but um, it, was a great, it was a great win by Alabama. Definitely, definitely one that they desperately, they definitely needed to keep pace in the SEC. Yes, the college football world right now is saying, he can't keep getting away with it. <laughs> the Tides sneak their way back into the top ten. It just feels right. And uh, another ACC game to close us out, Miami 28-20 to over Clemson. Wow, in double overtime, Cristobal's first home conference win <laughs> at Miami. And the Hurricanes with a backup QB, Tyler Van Dyke not available the Canes down 17-7 to uh, at the very end of the third quarter somehow find a way to come back against a good defense with two really long scoring drives. Matched field goals in the first overtime, and then in the second OT, Miami got the ball first, scored the touchdown, got the two-point. Clemson's chance to, to try and tie it up and send it further. It was fourth and one right there at the goal line, and I, I guess Cade Klubnick trying to do his best Peyton Manning impression against the Cowboys all those years ago, try and sneak it out after the ball fake, but the Hurricanes were on it, and he got tackled well short of the goal line. A lot of interesting stuff here, but yeah, the Canes, they're, they're staying in it. They're going to have a good record, maybe be ranked when they come to Tallahassee. Absolutely. Maybe college game day will be there. I won't be there, but maybe college game day will be there. I it's, a fair, so. it's fair trade. Yeah, I hope so. I, you know, I'll, I'll be attending a wedding. I'm really excited about it in Peru. It'll be great. Um, but I, I think obviously it's it's great for college football when when both Florida and, and and excuse me Florida State and Miami and Florida too are are good, especially in Tallahassee. No matter what that game is, it's been sold out for a while. A lot of people are incredibly excited to go. I hope all my friends are able to get tickets to the game as students. But should be should be a great atmosphere in the friendly confines. Are you telling me that there is someone here who sits in a seat of power in V89 Sports that is attending a fall wedding? Yes, that is uh, true. You are affirming someone's deeply problematic lifestyle there. <laughs> hot hot takes from Andrew tonight. <laughs> wow. So just to, to close this out for the for the Clemson Tigers, ooh boy, for, for Cade Klubnick, his coach Sweeney threw him under the bus, said that it was a called run to the running back and – with how it was blocked probably would have scored 
and reminiscent of Clemson, Florida State in overtime a few weeks ago where they ran that RPO on, I think it was fourth down, right, when they could have easily just run it up the middle and, and Klubnik throws to the outside. So that's a bad situation in Clemson right now, but I'm sure Florida State revels seeing their rivals uh, fail a little bit. But that's going to close us out here on Tomahawk Talk. For myself, William Haynes, our co-host Jackson Bakich, panelists Owen Hillman and Andrew Cheney, our great producer, as always, Jack Oliaro, saying so long for now. We'll be back next Monday night at 7. Talk about Florida State football, among other things. New release is coming up right now. You're listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.